We continue our walk through this book. Genesis chapter 13. We're going to read, uh, we'll read the whole chapter, 18 verses. Let's do that. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. Then Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is it not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that anyone could count, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word this morning, and as we come to it, we pray that our meditations upon it and the words of my lips concerning it would be acceptable in your sight, and may it be good for us, building us up, strengthening our faith, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can't miss right here at the beginning of this chapter the statement that is being made about Abram. And about what is going on and what is taking place. Because these first few verses that we get are really kind of throwing us back into chapter 12. 
In chapter 12 and verse 8, we read there that he had pinched, pitched his tent around Bethel and Ai, and then he had moved on to the Negev. Well, we know from that point they had gone down into Egypt. We looked at the debacle of everything that took place in Egypt last week. And this week what's happening is Abram is on his way back. He has, uh, he and Sarai, are, remember, they basically plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians had, uh, God had made them favorably disposed towards them. And so instead of killing them, which they probably should have done, Pharaoh just turned them around and he sent them back and he gave them, they gave them all sorts of uh, livestock and, and, um, and so Abram now is on his way back. And so it's no small detail that he makes his way back essentially to the Negev. And now he's gone back to Bethel and Ai. And he's gone back to that original location where he built the altar and he cried out to the Lord in chapter 12. So what, what, is, what are we to make of the fact that Abram has basically gone home? What we can make of it really is that Abram has, has turned his attention back to the Lord. Remember, just think about what was taking place last week. All of the things that had gone on with Abram in his life. And then we read in chapter 12 that there was a famine. There was a great famine in the land. And in the course of the great famine, Abram looked away from the promise and he looked away from the promised land and all that God was giving to him. And he went down to Egypt to have his needs met. And now, having turned a corner, all of this stuff that had unfolded with Sarah and with Pharaoh, Abram is turning turning his attention back to the Lord. And so he retraces his steps. And it's essentially, it's, it's kind of a visual act of repentance that's taking place in Abram's life. He's going back to the place where he sacrificed to the Lord between Bethel and Ai. He's going back to that location where he built the altar. And what does he do once he gets there again? He cries out to the Lord. And the Lord is hearing him. The Lord is answering his prayers. The Lord is meeting Abram again. And so it's really this, this picture. Now, it, it, this is the story, if you will, of the Christian life, of every Christian life. Every Christian will, in the course of their lives, wander away from the Lord. In some form or fashion, that is going to happen to you. And the question is, what happens after that happens? Do you turn and go back to the Lord? Or do you continue in your own ways, your obstinance? And in this situation, Abram turns and goes back to the Lord. Much the way Peter turned and went back to the Lord. And the Lord came to him and ministered to him. We see it really time and time again in the Word. You don't have to go back to a location per se, but for Abram, the location in this in this instance is a reminder of God's faithfulness to him. And so when Abram goes back to that location, he's going back to the Lord. You don't have to have a, a spot to go back to per se, but in this case it was helpful for him to go back to that location. I had an instance like this in, in my life a number of years ago. I had... Um, I had been um, in the chapel corps in the Air Force there for about nine months or so. 
And they sent me back to training to Maxwell Air Force Base, which is essentially home for me. My parents still live there. That was the place where Jody and I met and were married. And so they sent me home for a, a, a four-week, five-week class. And so I went down there. While I was there in Montgomery, I got news that my good friend Matt Baugh had died on mission in Haiti. And so there was, there was a lot of angst in my heart um, when I found out that Matt had died. He and I were, had been best friends. We had, we had met our wives together in this college group. We had prayed and, and sought the Lord. We had left the Methodist church and gone to the Presbyterian church together. Applause, yes. A lot had happened. And, and, and there was this, you know, I was waking up. I, I, my heart was very sad. And, um, and I was recalling all that the Lord had done in those years with Matt and I. And, and the only thing I could think of to do was to go back to this place where he and I had spent so many early mornings praying together, asking the Lord to bless our efforts in evangelism and ministry and praying for our wives. And that was a, a no-kidding place at Fraser Memorial United Methodist Church. I know, hard to believe, right? But we went back there and they had this prayer tower that was built on the, on the side of the, uh, the sanctuary there and you can access it 24 hours a day. And that was the location that Matt and I had spent so many, many mornings. And so I went back to that location and I spent some time there in prayer and I just cried out to the Lord. My heart was, I was very, very sad. I was, I was wounded. I was hurt. And so I took the opportunity to go back to a place where the Lord had met me so many times, hoping that he would meet me there again. That's what Abram is doing. He's going back to the place where the Lord had met him. Before he went off in all of this folly, going down to Egypt, chasing after um, you know, the, the uh, satisfaction of his needs in another land with other gods pawning his wife Sarah off as his sister to Pharaoh, all of that stuff. And now he's reverted, he's gone back to the land, and he's gone back to that place where God met him initially. And that's Abram's return. I want you to see the second part. I want you to see Abram's wisdom. You see it in verses 5 through 8. There's an issue that has come up now between he and Lot. So they've gone back to the land, they're living there in the land, and the issue that has arisen is this. God has blessed them both so much, they have so much wealth, and and that's seen in their flocks and herds and their herdsmen. They have so much stuff that the land can't support them any longer together. And so they have to come up with some way in which um, they can have their flocks watered and fed and all of those sorts of things because their herdsmen are starting to fight with each other. And so Abram comes up with a solution. Now, there's a a little tidbit in here that you need to see, and it's in verse 7. It's almost a throwaway line, um, although it's not. And that throwaway line is, and the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land as well. All right? Now, that little throwaway line is actually a key to understanding what it is that Abram is doing here. So, here it is. Their flocks and herds are are too large. Their herdsmen are arguing with one another. 
Abram is worrying about the quarreling that is taking place among them. And so he goes to Lot and, and he tells Lot, listen, um, we, we can't do this anymore. Lot, we cannot have any quarreling between you and me, between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. I don't know what your translations differ on that, we are brothers phrase. Um, most authors tend to think that he's referring to the fact that we're we're essentially all in this together. We're covenant brothers, if you want to put it that way. Not so much that he's not um, calling on the fact that they, they had a blood connection. He's calling on the fact that they have a spiritual connection. And, and as he does that, he offers up a solution here in, in, in this text to Lot. And essentially what he says is, let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. He offers Lot first choice. Now before we get to what Lot does, let's think about why Abram is doing this. Because I think that's what Abram seems to be doing. He's highlighted, there's two things that are highlighted. One, we're in this together spiritually. That's the first thing. And so... That is the reason, the primary reason, that Abram doesn't want the quarreling to continue. And then there's this throwaway phrase, seemingly throwaway phrase, about the the Perizzites and the Canaanites. So what seems to be going on is Abram doesn't want the Canaanites and the Perizzites to detect that there's any sort of rift between Abram and Lot. He doesn't want them to see that they're quarreling, that they're fighting, that they're not getting along. Because if the Canaanites and the Perizzites sense that there's a divide between them, then they would be much easier to conquer. And so Abram comes up with this idea, hey, look, we'll, we'll separate our flocks, but we'll, we'll continue a united front. We'll continue to be together. The, the folks that are living in this land won't hear about the fact that we're fighting because we won't be any longer. We'll continue to be united. The other part of this could just very well be that Abram wanted to wanted the world, that is the Canaanites and their Perizzites, to see that they were united in purpose as well. Perhaps not thinking that they would attack, just saying, listen, it's not good for us to be quarreling amongst ourselves. Let's continue in unity and not in division. And that is a better thing. Because think about it. The promise is to Abram that he is going to be a blessing to the nations. Well, how can you be a blessing to the nations if you're quarreling with your brother spiritually or your blood brother in this case? And so Abram comes up with the idea that they're going to split their, they'll split up here and he gives the opportunity to Lot to make the first choice. Now, this is all in stark contrast to the way that Abram just dealt with difficulty in chapter 12. And chapter 12, as they're going down to Egypt, there's great difficulty staring them in the face. What does Abram do? He gets to work very quickly, manipulating the situation. This is how we'll do this. This is how we'll do that. You'll tell them that your sister, when they find out how beautiful you are, and 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 
And so he begins to manipulate the situation. He, he begins to take control of everything. And in this instance, there's a problem in the land. Their herdsmen are quarreling. Abram takes a step back and he abdicates to Lot. He gives Lot the first choice. Now think about this. Abram is the one, Abram is the one that God has made the promise to. Abram is the one that God has been dealing with. He is the central figure in the story. It would have been just as right and just as proper if Abram would have said, Hey Lot, I'm going to take this land right here and you're going to go take that land. It would have been just as right for him to have taken the best land, the choicest land, to have raised his herd, his crops. But instead he offers it up to Lot. Almost as if he's saying, you know, I'm going to let Lot make this decision, and it'll all be good, and it'll all work out in the end, and and we will continue, and the Lord will continue to bless. And I'm just going to, you know, I have a good friend, maybe he'll listen to this sermon, and 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 um, Chris always says, he really does always say this, let go and let God. And, and I razz him all the time about it. But it's almost as if Abram is just saying, you know, I'm just going to let this one go. I'm not going to get way down in the weeds. I'm not going to manipulate the situation. I'm going to let God do what he will do. That leads us directly into the next point, which is Lot's folly. Lot's folly is this. If you look at the text, verse 10, Lot looked around and he saw the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar, and it was well watered. So this is what happens. Lot looks up. He's thinking, man, this is my day. Abram has given me my first choice, and I'm looking out on a piece of land that is sweet, sweet, sweet. And his heart is drawn towards this land. Now, your first indication that this is not a good decision is what follows in those ne- that next little section right there when it says it looked like Eden and Egypt. Where have we been in Genesis so far? Two places, Eden and Egypt. Did either one of those go well? No. And so here is Lot. He looks up. He sees this beautifully watered land out towards Zoar. It was well watered like the garden of the Lord and like the land of Egypt. And so Lot chose that for himself. Now we get a... We get a little more information, don't we? And it's a little parenthetical statement here. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was before verse 13, perhaps Lot didn't understand that the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. But perhaps Lot did know. Which is why when he goes down and he erects his tent and he sets his tent up, what does the text say? Did he do it in Sodom? It tells us. It says no. He was next to Sodom. Lot lived among the cities of the plain and he pitched his tents near Sodom. Perhaps Lot understood that Sodom was a bad place. And so he said, look, I'm going to go down here. I can live in this well-watered area. I can out, my crops will be good. My, my herds will be fine. Everything will be taken care of. And I can just live right next to Sodom. 
and I'll be okay, and everything will be all right. If you know anything of the rest of the story, you know this is a decision that will come back to haunt Lot, not once, but twice. In the very next chapter, chapter 14, we don't have time to cover it this morning, but Lot is going to be rescued by the skin of his teeth. And you know who rescues him? Abram. Abram will have to rescue Lot from this wicked area, and it's going to happen several times. Because Lot has made a decision to go and live next to a city known for its wickedness, and he made it by sight. Listen, Lot has one thing in mind at this point, unfortunately, and that is financial gain. He is making a decision for himself that he believes is going to give him the greatest financial gain. That's what all of this is about. It's about continuing to prosper. And your your flocks and your herd, they don't prosper if you don't have good grass and you don't have good water. And so that's why when he looked up and he saw how beautiful and well watered it was, his heart went there. I've known a lot of people over the years, and, and I'm sure if I were to go back to my own life, though it, it would be too painful. I'm sure I've made a decision, perhaps more than one, based on what I saw would be good for me, rather than what I knew in my heart spiritually would be good for me. I've known people down through the years that made decisions, and, and they, they took a job, they moved their family, all based on what would be best for them financially, never giving consideration to what would be good for them spiritually. And so they went to a location, and there wasn't perhaps a church that was Bible-believing and taught the Word, a place where they could worship and be nurtured and continue to grow in the Lord. And instead they went there, and they were depressed spiritually because of the spot that they moved their families to. Perhaps those thoughts are, you know, rolling around in your head as well about decisions either that you have to make or that you have made. Lot looked, he saw, and he made that decision, not by faith, but by sight. Let's look down at this final point. God's promise renewed. Here's Abram. He left the land. He left the promise. He took matters into his own hands. He went down to Egypt. All of those things, the the, the debacle that Egypt was for him. And now what we find out is he's come back. And, and of course, we read there at the beginning that he went from place to place. He, he landed at Bethel and Ai. He was there where the altar that he had made earlier was, and he called on the name of the Lord. And then we get this the section that's right in the middle of Lot and all of that stuff. But then we it picks back up in verse 14. And God's encounter with Lot, or with Abram, picks up in 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. All of the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that If anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. 
And then he tells him in 17, go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. I want you to think about what is taking place here. Abram has come back. He's called on the name of the Lord. And now the Lord is reiterating his promise to Abram. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 12, you'll see that initial promise that God makes to Abram. And here is that promise. It's just a different language, but it's the same promise. Abram, look north, look south, look east, look west. This is your land that I'm giving to you. And oh, by the way, an expansion to the promise, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the dust of the earth. If someone could count the dust of the earth, then they could count your descendants. Wow. Now think about this. Abram had gone and cast his, sorry, cast his lot in Egypt. He had gone down to Egypt to look, to have his needs met. He he had essentially abandoned the promise and abandoned the land that God had given to him. It would have been right and proper for God to have said, Well, you broke covenant with me. So long, see you later. Have fun down in Egypt. But that isn't what he did. When Abram came back, He called on the Lord, and this is the Lord's answer to him. The Lord's answer to him is, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, and the promise that I've made to you is still good and true. You know what we call that? We call that grace, and we call that mercy. Grace, Abram getting what he doesn't deserve, And mercy, God withholding what it is that he should have gotten. In this instance, he should have just gotten his own just desserts and God should have left him in Egypt. But he didn't. He called him home. Let me ask you, where are you at in in life, right? Because this is the same God. It's the same salvation. We've talked about that, and we're going to see it, continue to see it in Abram's life as God continues to work with him. But what we remember, we we read in in Hebrews chapter 11, and if you go to Romans chapter 4, you see there that God is dealing with Abram the same way that he deals with us. Salvation by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And so God showers that grace on us, doesn't he? When he calls us to himself. And then when we wander away and and we go after our own heart's desires. And then we realize, what in the world am I doing? And we come back to him. He doesn't shun us. He doesn't push us away. Why? Because Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're in Christ, you're trusting the Lord Jesus for your salvation. Nothing can separate you from his love. Not even being an idiot. Not even being a sinner. A reprobate. Not even struggling in your life. 
Because he's got a grip on you, and he's got a hold on you, and he's going to pursue you to the very end. Exactly the way he's pursuing Abraham. You know, it's amazing when we read in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abram or Abraham was a man of faith. And then you read Abraham's story and you go, huh, interesting, man of faith. Because just about every chapter, Abraham's going to blow it. And then Marion read the passage for us out of Second Peter. And in Second Peter, there's a reference, an oblique, strange reference to Lot being a righteous man. And you scratch your head and you go, that's interesting because in this passage, Lot doesn't look like much of a righteous man, does he? He looks like a man who's living by sight and not by faith. But our God is a God who continues to deal with us even while we were yet sinners and even though we still yet sin, He continues to labor alongside us. And isn't that the best news you've heard? all week. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and we want to praise you this morning for this story that you've given to us an accounting of the way in which you loved and cherished and fought for our father Abraham. And Father, this morning we know that we are right there with him. The struggle of faith is very real for us in a myriad of ways and we do battle each and every week, to maintain that faith. Father, thank you that you don't treat us as we deserve, but you treat us and you deal with us according to the righteousness of Christ. We would pray it all in his name. Amen.